Hello and welcome to Inside the GM Studio podcast about all things tabletop RPGs and things for the GM that we like to talk about, yammer about, talk shit about. I am your host, Matt. I am David. Today we got the usual. Uh, I actually have something kind of interesting to talk about because I know Dave has done it before. I had my first session of doing a one-on-one with a player. I've never done this before. The only time I ever did it was with you, but I was the player. I wasn't running it. So this is, uh, it was kind of interesting. We got our community questions. And then later on, I already talked about it with my group. I want to talk about the perfect time to take notes, how to take notes, how to organize your notes as a player and a GM alike. So jumping in, uh, we did have our regular Savage Pathfinder game which all went really well. Started off with a murder mystery. The guys are getting into it, starting their clues. And even Rob had the big like moment of, holy shit, I'm putting it all together. And he was super proud of that. He was actually very proud of that. Uh, but I think that was the only highlight that we had other than just them going around and gathering the clues and putting stuff together. I was very proud of them. But uh, for a game that was going to be coming up, I was going to run a short like four to six session cyberpunk red game. And I posted it on a discord that I find a lot of my online games on. And uh, I got four players that were interested and then two of them ended up dropping out like last minute. So we just scrapped the whole game. But the fun thing was, is that one of the players wanted to do his uh, life path like actual, like sit down and roll and go through and kind of role play the life path. So I was like, all right, I've never done a one-on-one session. Let's try it. Let's see what happens. And uh, I can see the drawbacks and the the strengths of it because it's really cool that you can go through and like you find all these little things that you can start putting into the story coming up. The draw pack was, is that we did have an altercation during the play. And I was just like, holy shit, I've never made an encounter for just one player. So I was afraid. I think I made it a little too easy, but it was fine. It was just for background stuff. But uh, I know that Chris has been running a solo thing for you. How's uh, like this one you're just playing in. But how do you find it going in as a solo player? Well, I've never ran. I've never played as a solo player. I've played as I've ran games for players, and they were solo players before. Mm-hmm. Uh, like especially when we were kids, I would run it with like sometimes I'd run a solo adventure with my brother. Like for D anD D in particular, it was really good. The best style for a solo player, if you're not going to do the whole like sword and sorcery kind of, maybe they got like a sidekick kind of thing is the rogue mission. Like, the rogue, like, is gonna... He's got, like, a sneak into the castle and steal the crown jewels. This plays very well solo, because especially because the, the rogue is likely to be, like, stealthy, which is something that's hard to do in a party, so you can, like, do lots of sneaking, trying to, like, you know, like, backstabbing people and, like, skulking around and, like, absconding into the night. Like, runs perfectly. Um... For other campaigns, it can be hard. So it's I've never played as a player, but I think the benefits are I think the same for the players as they are for the GM, which is to say that there's more 
agility character. Is much leader type because I'm the most experienced player in the group. I just kind of gravitate toward. Being the guy that talks a lot, I like pressure. So the benefit of for that being one on one is I don't have to worry. About I can just be like the leader or whatever. That's like good leadership, right? You're trying to be a good example and kind of like keep the plot moving along for the DM. And so there's a decent amount of flexibility there. But like, yeah, you said. The drawback sometimes with a like sometimes a one-on-one -on -one sword duel or something can be mm -hmm. super dramatic. And there's usually no need for like minis and maps and shit like that. It's like it can be all cinematic and theater of the mind. And so that's really cool. Um, but it also kind of limits the ambition of the adventure, right? You can't, can't have a big final confrontation with like a big giant dragon or whatever, because it's like one dude. Mm -hmm. So, especially at lower levels, you get to a higher level, right? Like you could say you're a level seven or eight adventure on a solo campaign. DM could just be like, okay, I'm just going to make a level one dungeon for a level seven yep. or eight character, he can run through that by himself. Mm -hmm. um, but like your level, like I'm level two, right? So it's like, it's hard for him to tailor that, but um, it's going okay. I think one of the biggest um, drawbacks that he has is that he just doesn't, he worries that it's going to be like overly challenging. And so I, my guy has like a little squire, right? Like he's got like a squire with him. But then he gave me like five other NPCs or something. And they're like this little retinue of guys that are like coming with us. And one of them I was like told him to fuck off and get out. I still got like four dudes, three or four dudes that are with me. I'm like, man, I would never do that. Like running that many characters, like trying to come up with distinct personalities for them and like running them in combat. It's like it would just be better off for you to scale back the encounters or don't scale back the encounters and just the player has to figure things out. I mean, that's the benefit is that, like, you have all this autonomy, but then you also have all this responsibility. There's no other players for you to lean on. Yeah, you, there's nothing to fall back on, really. Exactly. And so that has its appeal because it's kind of fun. Um what you want, go where you want, there's no, like, whatever. There's also no one there, you know, if you're hurt, to help you out or to, like, protect you or whatever. It's, like, just all you. So, um, that's, that's going, okay, we haven't played in a, in a minute. We didn't play D&D at all this week, so. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so does, does that kind of map out to the similar benefits and challenges that you experienced? It does. What it was is the the dude wanted to play a nomad, which in Cyberpunk Red, the nomads are the drivers. They're usually these like tribalistic moving parties of just people that they love cars. They love to make things go. You know, they got uh, uh, these things implanted in their brain that they can just jack into the car and connect themselves to the car. 
And if he was playing anything else, like that's just it, a social character, a fixer, a media type or whatever, would have been a lot easier. Sure, social challenges all over the place. But his thing was he got exiled from the tribe because he stole a car or he did something, you know, he did something bad and got exiled from the tribe. So all I could think of while we were going through was just like, fuck, what am I going to do? Because if you fuck with a nomad's car, the guns come out and then, you know, bad shit happens. And uh, I came up with it at the very end. I was just like, oh, a drag race. A drag race happens to, you know, show uh, superiority in the tribe. And he ended up uh, cheating by rules that he wasn't aware of. And that's how he got exiled. So I was able to actually make it so that nobody got hurt and he doesn't gonna he's not gonna have anything that goes against them other than this tribe kind of pushing him out but all i could think of through the entire thing because we did it for like an hour hour and a half i think the whole session was but all i could think of was at the very end i was like fuck you know there's something that's gonna happen and i don't want him because that's just it, the roll of a die if he dies it's really easy to die in cyberpunk it's yeah. like if he dies then this was we got to start all over but I didn't want that. I just wanted some good material to put in. And then, of course, all the material that we got just went to shit because the other two players quit. Yeah, but I mean, I think that... I mean, part of the reason that's a little more touchy is because it's kind of like a backstory thing. Mm-hmm. It's not like this is... the with, with In my campaign, it, this is like what my character is doing while the rest of the party is on the main adventure. Yeah. So it's kind of like a parenthetical, right? It's kind of like, a, you know, they do that in movies sometimes. Like, meanwhile, this is what was going on over here. Mm-hmm. And so if my guy, like, meets with some untimely end, then he's just not in the next adventure. This guy meets with some untimely end, and he there's just, like, no campaign now. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. those are some high stakes. Um but, you know, again, high stakes are part of what make any role-playing game fun. Now, and that's just it. The cool thing was is that we came up with some really awesome NPCs. Like uh, his uncle, uh, his what was it, Uncle Fred? His Uncle Fred kept contact with him. You know, he gave him the keys to a car and said, get out of here. You know, I'll always be here for you if you need anybody, all that. So Uncle Fred, a couple other people of his family. And some other people that he met. So I had like a plethora of NPCs that could be showing up later, which I thought was cool. That it almost makes me want to do, if I ever set up another game online, like a separate session zero for everybody mm-hmm. and just do that. Like just a half hour of us playing through some stuff and see what we come up with. The time goes fast though, man. I remember we, Chris and I were like, oh, we'll get to go and play a couple hours. We'll be able to get through some stuff. It's like, I can. Because it's like, for me, when you get into the throes of some sort of conflict, but like, let's just call it a dramatic incident. Mm -hmm. I like, I don't know, generally speaking, I like to kind of dig in and see as an opportunity to illustrate some things about my character. Because that's more interesting to me than just like pushing the plot forward. And so I try to balance that by like, trying to keep the plot moving along. But every little interaction where I can kind of like do something that that illustrates what kind of guy uh, my character is, is good. And anything, like my other fellow PCs have been kind of making fun of me because it's like the few encounters that we've had like throughout the past adventure, some of them I didn't fare so well. And then they kind of like, 
have this attitude like this guy kind of talks a big game but he's not exactly good at fighting (laughs) (laughs) what's up with that right and so i'm like okay i gotta kind of make sure to do a little bit better in the battle and because we were like i think i mentioned this where it was like i'd come up with these like lengthy descriptions and kind of like what's going on what i'm doing and like and then by the end of one battle i was just doing so poorly i was just like i was like i i miss he was like, I think he was like expecting some description, and I'm like, no, I just missed. My turn's over. I don't. I got nothing. Right, just move along. I'll fucking. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but anyway, <laughs> eh, it's something I want to experiment with later because I had a lot of fun doing it. It makes your it, it really keeps you having to be. It keeps your DMing improv skills sharp. Mm-hmm. Because oh, it's definitely. Not, it's it's not as structured, right? So you have to, it's more like you know jazz. There's a tit-a-tat between you and the player. It's more mm-hmm. like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and you have to be able to kind of keep that going. And so it can be be super fun, um, but it can also just kind of like it requires you to be much more engaged. Anyway. So what do you think? Should we get to the community questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right, go ahead and roll that d20. I'll go onto our table, see what we can find. 12. We already have 12? 12. Oh, no, I got a whole <laughs> bunch of new numbers. Oh. No, this is the same numbers. This is number yeah, yeah. 20. The, the numbers are the same, man. <laughs> All right. So this one comes from Shannon C. Ooh, it's okay. Ooh, I like this. He or she kind of spread this out. So, how to work around players who backstories go against the story. Hey guys, I've been playing Pathfinder with friends for about a year and a half now, and I tell other friends that haven't played D&D how much I enjoy it. I pique their interest in the game and offer to DM for them. I have two new players that are engaging in my NPC in combat very well. However, I have a player who's playing a cleric and tells me that killing people against is against his religion, which I understand, but he has spells to damage to people and he requested a weapon. Problem. I prompted, I prompted to my players an organization that will help them get around my homebrew world easier and allow them to easily get quests like bounty hunting, dungeoneering, city protection, etc. It would also allow me to easily generate story, but my players just aren't interested. The cleric isn't interested because he fears the organization's bounty hunter bounty hunting will go against his character's religion. I'm afraid that my player's religion religious background is going to affect future ideas of mine, and I'm not sure how to work it out. Next, how do I work around players whose backstories go against the story? My prep for the game was mostly the mechanics of the game, how to roll dice and make a character and create a proper character sheet. I went over the backstories with my players a week before we started. My other player, a monk, said he had no backstory and that I could work with whatever. He isn't a huge issue. The cleric explained this back, his backstory and why he became a cleric, but didn't clarify he would be a pacifist. Ooh, okay. So the crux of the issue is not... These people always give you way more information than you need, so I'm trying to always sort through what it is that... I know, that's just, I was like, oh, we broke it down into three parts here. Well, it's usually they're trying to give you context, right? Yeah. And so it's like, you want like a substantive answer. Then, um, I so think the main the- one is, is that uh, 
the cleric whose backstory he explained his backstory and why he became a cleric, but didn't clarify he would be a pacifist. And now it's fucking with Shannon's story. Or it could be right. an issue. Right, but there's a but why would that be an issue? Because there's a greater is he a pacifist insofar as that it matters whether he doesn't directly want to harm or kill anyone, or he cannot be involved in harming and killing anyone. This is a completely different thing, because there are plenty of things, you know, like, sure, yeah, clerics have damage spells on their spell list, but if he's preparing things like bless and cure wounds and, you know, stuff like that, then these are actually spells that are geared toward helping his allies. And if anything, your parties usually need that. Mm. A lot of players just want to, like, damage the shit out of enemies. And you have to, like, if someone's playing a cleric, it's presumably, like, oh, you know, like, blast and cure wounds and healing word and, like, all of these things that long strider and things that give your players a benefit. So those are the spells that he could and should be preparing. He can also do things like the help action mm. and plenty of other actions in combat that don't really necessitate him directly attacking anybody it could even be fun for mechanics sake and so what but the question is is like why would he take those spells and why would he have like a weapon if he's not moreover like how what is the justification for his character even being an adventurer if he's a pacifist yeah why didn't he just be stay a clergyman Right, that's that's the real question that I think that you would have to ask him, but if I don't feel like there's any onus on the DM to custom-tailor design quests that don't involve any combat, but you that said, you can actually add some things in the game, make it a little less combat-heavy, right? Like more social interaction and exploration and and things like this, that mystery solving and shit like that, if that's... To me, it sounds like if he's saying he's a pacifist, he's implicitly saying that he's drawn to these more these different aspects of his of the game. And so you should take that as a declaration of preferences, I guess. And that that's the way I would take it, and failing that, I would directly ask the player, like, you know, why did you become an adventurer then? Like, what are you baked into the concept of being an adventurer is to go out and smite evil, right? Yeah. At least in the context of D&D and Pathfinder and other medieval heroic fantasy games. So if your character is not willing to do that, then why is he an adventurer? What is he doing? And maybe that might suss out the fact that he or she it sounds like is more interested in different aspects of the game or maybe you could have it be some sort of character development thing where you can almost make a bargain with your character like a bargain with the the player like okay so why is the character this way and what you know like talk through it with them and you might actually like get to a place where the character can kind of develop a more narrow set of parameters where it's like, okay, so you're a cleric, so you don't kill anyone. What constitutes anyone? Are we talking about, like, other people? Sure, but, like, what about, like, a demon 
who's directly antithetical to the odds of your god. That's certainly, like, that's not a person, right? It's not like a mm-hmm. moral, autonomous being. So then, you know, maybe you establish some tighter parameters where it's like, oh, yeah, I see your point. Like, demons and devils and undead are different than, like, moral agents, right? People with moral agency. So then you could kind of, like, maybe he starts off as a pacifist, and then you could kind of introduce some of these elements and these moral quandaries into the storyline that kind of maybe allow him to kind of lax that up a little bit. Where it's like, you know, a demon or a devil is like, if you're committed to your faith, then that's like just a blight. Mm. Like, like, it's just like a cancer on civilized society. So if you have that whole do no harm thing or whatever, then like you have to have a moral imperative to eradicate this thing and try framing it in philosophical moral terms like that. And that could be a good opportunity for character growth and it could dovetail nicely. It's like, okay, so now I can, you know, make the quest a little more geared toward like undead and and uh um demons and devils and stuff like yeah, that aberrations things that are not human like right. right right and then maybe you can kind of go even maybe the character kind of okay what about like cultists that are working for devils and demons and maybe he kind of like Ooh, that's know, just it kind of what what is it that pushes him too far where he actually goes against his creed that's something cool to think about. Right, or, or maybe not pushes him, goes against his creed, but causes him to reassess some things. Much because better. There's a there's a confrontation. You have to confront the player with competing goods. This is what ethics are about. And if he's supposedly like have he's like a you know some sort of moral paragon, you need to confront him with the competing goods, which is like, you can't harm anything. Okay. So that, so he's basically like a Janus, right? Like mm. a, those Indian guys that just like mm. want to step on a bug. It's like, that's not, that's not tenable. It's not practical, especially if he's a fledgling adventurer. He isn't likely to have attained a high level of spiritual and moral enlightenment. Maybe he has this kind of naive view and you need to confront him with the fact that there, that, that taking that path is antithetical to his faith in some way. It's a competing good. And so I think if you can, that could be a very interesting storyline and a very interesting character thing where he grapples with that to try to like be like, you can't just do nothing, right? Like these demons, devils, undead are not, they don't fit within the parameters of your guideline for pacifism, which is to say that like, I won't harm another thing. Which is like, okay, but is embedded in that concept of thing something that's a thinking moral agent as opposed to just like a fucking meat puppet for like the weave or like some sort of manifestation of evil that will undermine and underwrite the other things that you think are good, right? Like, mm. oh, there, there's this devil and it's killing the, the worshippers of my faith specifically in front of me but i can't do anything to stop it like that's how do you like that's like those things are colliding and you need to confront the player with those things and could be really interesting if you just kind of try to get to the heart of what the player means and the and the reason for this prohibition and so and there are other times where it's like maybe you have a quest where the end conflict is 
is these bad guys that are like demons or devils and maybe they're between there and there's like some cultists and he's conflicted so maybe like when those encounters come up he tries to figure out ways to help his party without really breaking mm. these prohibitions and maybe he develops and changes and so that's kind of got to be good because otherwise you know you just have like a hardline stance it's like a fanatic and it's like well what am i supposed to do with that like yeah. in any meaningful way it just kind of puts a big hamper on like my character doesn't like to travel I want to be an an adventurer, but like he won't walk more than a hundred paces from his (laughs) front door. It's like, are you sure you know what that means to be an adventurer? So, um, so that, that, that would be my advice. I I don't know. Maybe you have some more insights into like why that would be a good, like how it goes. Yeah. The only other thing I could think of is, yeah. Talk to him, find out why he wants to be the pacifist of the group. Cause it makes me think that, this player wants the other party to interact in some way. Cause it reminds me kind of, cause I've done this before back when we tried uh, Conan D 20 mm-hmm. and uh, so Patrick was a barbarian. I played the, the little sniveling sorcerer dude. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we had a noble in the party. I just don't remember who it was. Yeah. Who was that? I don't remember. I can't remember, but either way I made my character to be a coward. He was, I, I said that he looked a lot like Danny DeVito. He was short, didn't look very good. Uh, all he had was a little dagger and some, you know, some scraps that he wore. And whenever a, an altercation happened, you know, whenever combat or whatever was going to happen, he just ran the fuck away. And what I wanted was the other players to kind of get in and talk him up, be like, you know, you're better than this. You're great. Especially the noble. That was like their whole purpose. And I never talked about it with anybody. I was just like, oh, I'm going to do this. And everyone's just going to latch on. They're going to know what's up. No, they didn't. <laughs> Patrick was just like, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> you're just you're just kind of like sandbagging the party here. <laughs> <laughs> why, why are you running away? Yeah, because we, well, we didn't play that campaign long enough. We only played like three or four sessions, I think, maybe. Yeah, um, I think only two, really. Oh, yeah, maybe you're right. Because, yeah, we just, it just got to be too mechanic heavy. And it was like, yeah, I was like, I don't know that we, it didn't seem like anyone else really liked it that much. Mm. Like, it was just like, yeah, this is too mechanic heavy. And like, we just kind of gravitated away from it. I was, I think I was intrigued because there are some things about that system that I really did like. Oh yeah. The D20 system is great. Especially if you're a, uh, like a hardcore, uh, power gamer. Yeah. I mean, they got numbers for days, but yeah, I remember when, uh, Patrick rolled his first natural 20 he was just like, Oh, crit. And uh, you were just like, oh, sweet crit. And I was like, well, you got to roll again to make sure that it actually goes through. Yeah. And Patrick got all fucking, he was like, what do you mean? It's a fucking natural 20. It means I crit. It's like, no, yeah. you got to. And you looked up in the rules and you're like, holy shit, he's right. Yeah, I, I'd forgotten about that. But yeah, there's some things, strangely, the things that I like about it are things that are actually more story driven, like the fate points and the cinematic combat, I, I think are better than the. But, mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah, I, th- I think you're right. You just kind of have to find out why your player has chosen this tact, right? And yeah, and then and then this dude like totally stabbed somebody, and there was blood everywhere. So <laughs> I was like, "Whoa, that's a little inappropriate for." Are we back on? Anyway, I'll finish. And there you go, yeah. Shannon C. I hope that that little bit there, Dave came through and he fixed everything for you. Yeah. 
Anyway. Anyway, <laughs> on to the main subject. And I had just talked on Monday uh, with my group that this was going to be talked about in the uh, seventh episode, sixth episode, whichever one we're on now, because my my management fucking sucks. Yes, episode six. Yeah, I think it's cool. Counting is really hard. Yeah, well. Uh, managing notes. One thing I've noticed uh, with the Monday group is that maybe it's just because we're playing online, but sometimes I find that a lot easier because no matter what, I always have a laptop or my uh, tablet or with me whenever I'm playing as a player and I'm always jotting down notes. I've gotten pretty decent at tabletop shorthand. Everyone else, they just see uh, hieroglyphics and weird symbols, but I know what I'm talking about. Uh, but one other thing is like when you're playing in a medieval fantasy game and me, I get, I use a uh, random name generators, fantasy name generators a lot whenever I'm coming up with, especially if I'm coming up with NPCs on the fly or even if they're in the adventure that I'm running, they could be kind of hard to remember, but I always thought that maybe it's because they're so unique that they're easier to remember. But, uh, like Rob and Nate are always talking about, man, these fucking names are always getting me. I'm like, that's it for, for now on they're they're Joe, Sam, Tom, going to make it real easy. And, uh, I kind of surprised them on Monday when we first started, cause I was still setting up some things and I was grabbing a coffee and I said, hit me with a recap. And all of them just kind of went silent. So I was, we all have our different ways of taking notes. Uh, Rob is not a note taker. He doesn't take notes whatsoever because he likes to immerse himself into the game. And he's afraid that if he's taking notes, he's going to miss something. And Nate is an over note taker. He takes a lot of notes. And I've noticed that sometimes it does. He, he'll be kind of there taking his notes. And then all of a sudden he'll be like, wait, what, what just happened? So I want to talk about, cause I can find myself pretty easily sitting there taking notes and still keeping track. But I wanted to know if you had any tips for both as a GM and as a player, Dave, for taking notes and keeping yourself immersed in the game. First of all, I think the whole, I don't take notes because it distracts me is a load of horseshit. Like I, I think that might be plausible if the player never forgets anything. Hmm. Or, or let's just, not even never, let's just say rarely forget stuff. But if they're the player that you have to constantly remind what's happening in the adventure, who's where and what, why, to who and when, that's that's a load of horseshit. It's laziness, and it's just like you don't want to assume responsibility for remembering what has happened up to this juncture. But I do understand that if you're too immersed in like taking notes, that you might not be engaged. Now, I think my profession kind of leaves me uniquely positioned to kind of establish what level of note-taking that I would need, which is less than most people, because I'm usually pretty good at, like, internalizing and remembering things. Mm. And so, for me, I have, like, I think I will have what they usually call hyperlinked brain. So it's like a plot of an adventure and the things, are, like, I remember one thing, and then that, like, leads logically to the next thing. It makes me good at logic. Um, because I can think, see when things, like, link up and when they follow logically. 
And so in the plot of the adventure in my head, I, I might need help remembering people's names, and those are usually what I do. Uh, as a player, I'm not a big note-taker. Um, and generally speaking, I find that, you know, some people, some people learn things differently, right? Some people are more verbal than they are written. And so I can buy that those people that are more verbal would not benefit as much from notes. But unless you assume that your memory is a perfect thing, and here's a newsflash, it's fucking not, and hmm. then you should be taking some level of notes. So I don't see, I, I personally don't see a lot of value in cataloging things that are likely to be fairly mundane and routine. But like names of place, names of places, names of characters, and important plot points should be things that you're jotting down. Or like, for instance, what I do is I'm a lot like you. When I'm GMing, I usually just come up with names of people on the fly. Mm -hmm. Then what I do is when I come up with them, I just write them down. The best best way to be a good note taker is just to be conscientious. Don't assume that you're going to remember things in the future and take notes. And you don't have to take like, you know, like you mentioned Nate. So maybe he's, he's an overnote taker. He's probably mm -hmm. writing a whole fucking essay. So he has like a fucking ticker tape of like, you know, like what happened, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, I can just, and, and that's probably not necessary. What you really need to be doing is writing down, Key phrases are things that you think will jog your memory, right? You don't need you don't need to know the whole whatever that was said in a conversation. So paraphrasing is pretty good. A couple of key words. Because you might just write down a thing like lost gem, and you would like read that and you would know. Oh, right, yeah, we were going to this, like, temple because somebody has stole. you know, like, you would remember, like, you would just, you don't need to, to have a super detailed notes because I think it's a divide between the overly neurotic and the overly confident. The overly confident person thinks, eh, I'll remember that. I can remember stuff, you know, mm. maybe you don't play for a week, you take a week off. You have some other stuff going on, you work and fight with your old lady or whatever, and you come back to the game, you're like, what the fuck was happening? Like, ah, oh, jeez, I don't know. The overly neurotic person is always worried they're going to forget something, so they're just, like, taking down, like, every fucking detail. Yeah. So if you're in a... And it makes you not an attentive listener. So what's important is to take down key ideas, details that the DM tells you that you think might be relevant, Jot them down. Names if you're bad at names. Places if you're bad at places. And generally speaking, you'll need to take less notes the more you say things. The more you say, like, a character, an NPC's name, every time you speak to them, you just say it and you'll remember it. You won't actually need to write it down. Like, just try that exercise when you meet an NPC or you... Um, are moving along in the plot, try just saying things to the other characters that indicate what is happening and that you understand what is happening. And then they hear 
and you say it, you say it, they hear it. It helps them, it helps you. And you need to write fewer things down because your brain just captures things in different ways. Sometimes writing it down will help you remember, but you don't need to write down every minute detail because um, I was just explaining this to someone the other day. They were like, well, I'm multitasking. And I'm like, no, you're not. I'm like, what do you mean I'm not? I'm like, that's not a thing that you can do. What do you mean? People multitask all the time. I'm like, no, they don't. You can only focus on one thing at a time. Science is not quiet about this. Anytime you think you're multitasking, you're just doing both of those things poorly. <laughs> you, can, you can only really focus on one thing at a time. You only have so much focus, right? And you either put 100% of that focus on one thing or you don't. And if you don't, then I would say you're not focused. So if you're focused entirely on writing, you are not listening. Not in any attentive way. And some people are better at this than others, right? Like I can, when I, when I take notes typing, if you're talking, for instance, I'm not focused on typing at all. I'm focused on listening. That's because I have trained myself to like, you say words, and my fingers just produce those words. I imagine this is how stenographers are. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's almost fucking autonomic for me. I don't have to think about it at all. I don't have to focus because I'm not concerned with it being perfect, right? Like you said, it looks like hieroglyphics. I just write shorthand, all these things, because all that's important is when I go back to reference it later, I can make sense of it. It doesn't need to read perfectly. It needs to make sense to me. And so... That's the way you take notes for the game. Some players just want to have, like, a fucking notebook of, like, my D&D adventure. Like, they want to yeah. transcribe, like, adventure. And it's like, okay, that's cool. But you can't, you can't give that level of detail and still focus on what's being said. Because that's just not possible. And I think the more you realize that you only have one reservoir of focus or willpower or whatever you want to call it. And that everything draws from that. The more you will deliberately navigate through when to... Focus on writing something. When is a moment for that? The DM's giving you some information and maybe you like you jot a note down, like that's fine. And maybe if you want to write a little more detail while another player is talking or something else is happening, then you could do that. But just keep in mind that you can only focus on one thing at a time. And you will have priority of whether that's listening, like to the DM, speaking in some way, or writing something down. And you just need to choose which is most effective in this moment. So it uh, brings me back to, I played in a game that we streamed on Twitch, uh, Chronicles of the Bearded Lady. It was a comedic game, D&D. &D. Yeah. It was an over-the-top homebrew where uh, the DM had all these generators for weapons and all this other shit that were just, I mean, crazy uh, powerful, as well as, you know, we always had things that if people donated, crazy shit would happen to us. But I was the captain of the airship, the bearded lady. And I would take notes enough. And just like you said, all I would do is hit the strong nose that would jog my memory of what happened. Cause every episode that we did, it started off with the recap, which was captain's log. And I'd go into what I wrote in my log that day. And, uh, I found out that's what my shorthand has become. You hit those good points that you just, you hit it and you're just like, Oh yeah. And then this and this and this happened. 
as long as you have like, I don't know what you would call those as what a writer, you should know what these words are called that just hit enough that it jogs like this whole thing that just happened with like one word. Yeah. On a, do you guys have that sort of word? Yeah, I'm unaware of a, like a word like uh, that, like describes that because it depends on what. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know that there is a word that like describes like this thing that basically just triggers your memory. Um, and so you likely know what those words are because you would just think about it this way. It's typically going to be the topic of the sentence, mm -hmm. right? This is how we think. We think English is a verb-driven language. And so most sentences, if they're well-written, follow the SVO formula, subject, verb, object. Who does what to whom? David stabbed Matt. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you go... Often, you can go, okay, what is the sentence about? And often that will be the subject, but sometimes it won't. Like in the example that I just gave, your note probably is better to read stab. Stab is a strong verb and is likely to remind you what happened. You won't have any trouble. You just if you had to distill a sentence down to a single word, what would that word be? And that's probably the word that you probably should write in your notes. You know, it's in particular like if you're if you're listening carefully, you'll notice the things that are peculiar about that the DM is describing. And it's like, yeah, like I gave one of my players a hard time about this. Like I read like a page and a half of intro flavor text, setting the scene or this adventure. I finished that. He was taking notes the whole time. And then basically the second I was done, he basically was just like, he basically just said, can you just repeat everything you just said? <laughs> like, I was like, I don't, I was like, what the fuck were you writing down if you didn't get any of this information? Like, you didn't, like, like you just need. I don't know how to like teach you. That's like, what are you writing down? Like, you're writing down like the 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 more flavorful elements, windy, right? Like, you're writing that down instead of like statue in the center of town, right? Like, okay. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to like train that into you. But yeah, I think it's it's mostly there's like a divide between listening attentively and writing down. In a way, because you can't write as fast as someone can speak. No, especially me when I start really getting into it. Like I try to read as a good narrator because I'm very flavor heavy when yeah. it comes to my games. And sometimes I can find myself even hell on the podcast here. I find myself speaking really fast yeah. because I, I don't know if it's a uh, if it's a thing like I need to get it all out right now or else they're just going to walk away and they don't want to hear about it. You know, as long as I can get it all out. They don't have time to walk away. So yeah. I just try to get everything I can out as quick as possible in order to, because I am, I'm afraid sometimes, especially players I don't know, I don't want to bore them with my flavor, you know, my narrations here and there. But I also don't want to say, like you were saying, I don't want to say too much that it's all going to get lost in translation as they sit there like, what the fuck? 
you know, I, they just wrote down, like you said, the wind was blowing and the smell of orchids were in the air. And wait, what did you just say? Oh man, yeah. I just got done for the last like 10 minutes talking yeah. about this shit. Well, that's something that, uh, that's something that's not altogether uncommon. I mean, I don't know that I would call like D and D or whatever, like public speaking, mm. but it's something we learn in public, like that I learned in my public speaking class, which is to just slow the fuck down. Yeah. Like just slow down, speak a lot slow. I speak fast too, like a fucking Gatling gun of information, right? And so that just kind of comes with experience. I pause a lot because I'm usually choosing my words carefully. And so I think that kind of slows down the natural cadence of my speech. That's been one of the things I've really tried to work on is I've found, because I've been listening to a lot of like Jordan Peterson and a couple other people talking. And these guys that are, big intellectual dudes like they choose their words very very carefully before they say them and i find that hits a lot harder is that what i said that's not what i said (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah oh yeah peterson is great for that so is sam harris they both they speak very deliberately and i think as far as flavor text goes it's a matter of writing well so if you are thoughtful about your flavor text, you're writing, like, say, I want, like, a paragraph of flavor text at the beginning of an intro of a scene. And you really agonize over that flavor text so that it's as tight and, like, to the point as you want it to be, then you won't be, like, you won't be gassing on because you'll get to the point better. And so it, it's really kind of a matter of like how much detail do I want to give here but then the more you actually like when I do flavor text often for the beginning of an adventure I will write it out Mm -hmm. Uh, you know I think I kind of read you what I'd had and I added a little more to that so it was like an essay it was like a page and a half of flavor text because I just I go through and I'm like okay how can I tinker with it but it's a writing exercise and so and I think the more you go through deliberately crafting flavor text like that, the better you can do it on the fly and communicate a, a lot of information with very few words. So this is the biggest problem I see people have with writing in general is that they are very verbose and they just use more words to communicate an idea. Like they'll use 50 words to communicate something that could be communicated in 50, 30 words. Mm-hmm. And it's like, do that over the course of an entire say say it's like yeah i can i can write a more substantive essay in 1500 words and you can write in 3000 words it's like that's better concise is always better clear concrete concise all of these axioms for when you speak and for when you write and your language will be more precise and it will be more to the point, and you won't have to worry about people not listening to you. It's harder to tune you out when you speak in this way, and certainly when you write in this way. It's uh, Diana always says that she really hates overhearing me speak to other people. Like when I, like if she were listening in the other room, she really hates it. She's like, I like talking to you and I like listening to you, but I hate overhearing you. Because the way you speak makes it hard to ignore you. If I if I don't want to listen to you, it's hard to ignore you. And it's like, okay, that's kind of a compliment. She's like, I just kind of want to punch you in the face because 
she's like, I'll be trying to read or something. And she's like, I just, the way you speak. And like, look, I'm always trying to improve the way I, I speak. And, but I think that it's a dual exercise. So if you don't want to bore your, your players with flavor text, then try writing it out and try going, okay, what's important here? Am I using subject, verb, object? How many modifiers am I using, right? Don't try not to use a lot of adjectives when you write flavor text, right? Try to use really pithy, punchy verbs. They, they tend to get players' attention, right? When you say, like, the, you know, the bouquet of orchids, like, wafts around and surrounds you. It's like, okay, that's just, like, very ethereal. But if you mm -hmm. use strong verbs, right, like, oh, like I said, like I used earlier, like, stab, Stabbed, crushed, punched, like these verbs like get your attention. They keep you engaged because they communicate action. And so I think the more you can kind of do that with your flavor text, you can communicate in like a paragraph what you maybe previously were communicating in three or four or five paragraphs. Your players are more likely to like notice those details because they don't think that they're superfluous. So um, I found out that <clears throat> uh, just recently on Monday, starting the uh, murder mystery, they went to the scene of the crime and the first bit of flavor I brought out, speaking of the, the lumber mill, you walk in sawdust, you know, and it is, I'm kind of dragging it on. Like I usually do Uh bloody sawdust lines, the floor, as you see the body hung up on the wall, but it was at the very end uh, that I said, the smell of rotten death uh, permeate through the room. And that just got all of their attentions right away. They're just like, wait, what this just happened. Didn't it? And I think that those are those key words that hit hard that they're just like, oh, wait a minute, hold on. And it just took two words out of this two paragraphs that I said. Yeah. That yeah, snapped them back into it. Yeah, they get their attention, right? And so you should try to strive for every sentence in a bit of flavor text of being that kind of, that evocative, right? Something I was trying to, a uh, tip I was giving to uh, Chris, the guy that's DMing for me one-on-one. -on -one. And then I found myself breaking it, like when we were playing D and D on, on, like not this week but last week. The amount of times when you're coming up with flavor text on the fly, try to take note of how many times you say the phrase "you see." Oh, I say it so much. So do I, and it's superfluous, and just cut it out. Right, just cut it out. It because in a paragraph of like a thirty-second thing of you like describing something, you could cut out ten or fifteen seconds. You know, five seconds here and there. And instead of saying, you "See this guy up at the bar," and you know, you see that he's like has a drink in his hand, and you see that he like is it's like ah, just like yeah. there's, a guy, there's a guy at the bar. He's drinking ale. He looks pissed. <laughs> Maybe one, right? <laughs> But try not to say, like, you see, because we don't do this with other things. You see, you see, if you're describing it to characters, and it's just like a little thing that it's really, really easy to do. Like I said, I pointed it out to my DM, the guy that was DMing for me. And then I just found myself doing it. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, I just gave you this to, like, even just reminding him that he shouldn't do it made me more aware that I was doing it. And so... Mm -hmm. um, like, I used to tease my buddy Andy, and, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe he'd get hip to listen to this, but Andy, uh, if you're listening to this, uh, you got to stop that. <laughs> but what he used to do is, uh, all of a sudden, he would just use this phrase, like, every minute. It's like, all, all of a sudden, like, you see someone outside, and you go outside, and you're, 
and you're talking to them and all of a sudden like there's like a loud bang <laughs> oh i go down the street yeah you, you go down the street and you see a crowd gathering and all of a sudden there's this guy is like dude fucking <laughs> everything can't be first of all you're a journalist and you shouldn't even say the word all of a sudden there's no all of a sudden suddenly say suddenly <laughs> right and everything can't be suddenly, otherwise nothing is suddenly. So stop using this fucking word every 20 words. Huh? Oh, like, wait, no, huh? What? Yeah. yeah. It's like all of a sudden, just all of a sudden, like all of a sudden, I'm like, fuck, shut up. Um, but yeah, I poke fun at him about that because we all have those disfluences and those, those tics. And I think they play into, like, they start with being deliberate with the way you speak makes players more engaged and so if you can make them more engaged they're more likely to latch onto details that are important if they latch onto details important they will be reflected in the notes so if your players are taking bad notes i usually i mean i, I tease my players all the time i'm just fucking not being very attentive but some of that's probably on me like if they're not attentive mm -hmm. it's because they're not engaged with what it is i'm saying and it's because i'm not saying something in an engaging way um, so you, know, you just have to assume some sort of responsibility for that. If you're on the player side, like, I mean, I don't take notes a lot as, as a DM. Like, I just don't, because I don't have a lot of, um, need for them. Uh, unless I said, unless it's something that I just know I won't remember, a character's name, uh, whatever, you know, like. Hey, yeah, let's. Let's flip it, because even as a DM, I don't take a, I nearly as many notes as I do when I'm playing. But, uh. One of the main things is, especially if I'm coming up with a character on the fly, you know, an NPC on the fly, write down their name, you know, you know, Millie, gnome, bubbly, high pitched voice. Uh, and that'll, that'll, yeah, right. She's a twat. <laughs> that'll usually be the end of that. I'll just have a brief couple words that describe them. Because uh, normally I'll have you know, NPCs already fleshed out and everything that I have to do with the story. But, uh, other ways that I use notes as a DM, especially when you start really, I wouldn't say fucking with the players, but they start thinking of what's going to happen. They start trying to figure it out. And I say this all the time and I've told it to them that this is a trick that I use as you know, they're just like, oh my God, you know, this is happening and this is going on. It sounds like this is happening. I'm like, oh yeah, what if that is what's happening? And I'll just write it down. Mm -hmm. Because that, that I, I was just going to say that actually the best, the best notes to take to remind yourself about stuff are things that the players do not know. Mm -hmm. Right? Such and such. And, and, and they, they always realize something's amiss. You go like, oh, like you, you know, uh, you come into this uh, encounter, right? And like, you know, this, you're fighting with this creature and it bites you. And roll a constitution saving throw. And they go, oh, okay. You roll it like, oh, I get a, a 12. You go, okay. Yeah. And then so in my notes, I write, infected with X, mm -hmm. A1, right? <laughs> yeah. So that I don't forget because I've had that happen before where it was like, character failed a saving throw and then i go like oh like the next day i'm like oh shit right they're like they have like lycanthropy now <laughs> i might want to like and so sometimes i have to backward map like when did that happen okay that was like four days ago and where were we like at the timeline of the adventure 
all right, they're probably like, because let's count it four days down from like the full moon. And let's say there was 20 days and like it's been four now. And it's like, okay, I, I should start doing some things to kind of like give the character an idea that they're affected with this. But yeah, anytime they're infected with a disease, they get a curse on them. Something that the player doesn't fucking know. Um, and that's always good. Like, what what if this is happening? And you're like, yeah, well, like, how, how can I, how can I, uh, draw attention to details that might foster that suspicion mm -hmm. as well as give other details that are contrary to that if the players care to look because it's always super fun as a dm to get them off the rails right like to yeah. just let, let them go off the off the fucking reservation if it's not what you would plan for but so i will say that i do generally as a gm that's a big tip that i have which is to keep notes on things that the players are not apprised of because you won't ever hear them say those things and you won't say them to them. So they're not solidified in your memory as much. Um, it kind of just goes back to that. Like when you say something and you hear it, hearing, speaking, writing, these are the best ways. To, and if you do all three of them, then you remember something a lot better. And that's the whole goal of notes, right? It's to remember... Yeah what's happening in the adventure, not just superficially, but subtextually. Yep. And never, uh, downgrade the, uh, the fake note. <clears throat> I know Dave is a fan of fake dice rolling to keep the characters on their toes. Mm -hmm. I've also been the one that sat there and went, uh-huh, as I'll write, I'll just write down, you know, renew your license tomorrow, but it just makes the players look at you and be like, what the fuck, what are you writing down? Remind me what your constitution score is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, but, it's 14. But I think that's going to be it uh, for this episode. And time. <laughs> what? Wait, what? Uh, is, uh, anyway. Yeah, so if you got anything to say to us, tell us to shut the fuck up, call us assholes, give us something to talk about. Uh, you can uh, contact us at inside the GM studio at gmail.com. Uh, if you go to Spotify, uh, you'll see that there's a nice little link there to send us a voice message. If you'd like, you can uh, send us a voice message. We'll play it on air and we'll try to answer your question or we'll just sound really dumb and not know what the fuck we're talking about. You might I sound super smart all the time. I know you'll always make it so that you sound super smart. For this episode of Inside the GM Studio, I am Matt. I am David. Good night. Good night. Hey guys, it's Matt again. Just wanted to say thank you for listening to us yet again, listening to our bullshit. Uh, if you have any questions that you want to send in or just give us a topic to talk about and rant and rave about for all the fucking time, uh, send it to InsideTheGMStudio at gmail.com. You can go to our anchor uh, page and there's a nice little link there that'll uh, that you can send a little voice message if you want. But again, thank you for listening and uh, we'll see you on the next one.